Welcome to Not Your Mother's Menopause, Making Hormones Make Sense, with Dr. Fiona Lovely. Dr. Lovely is an expert on health, treating women and their families from around the world. Her specialities include endocrinology, functional neurology, and functional medicine. Please visit us at drlovely.com. And now, here's the doctor. Well, hello there. Dr. Fiona Lovely here. This is Not Your Mother's Menopause Podcast, Making Hormones Make Sense. And I hope you're having a fantastic week. I'm pretty excited to bring you this next uh, topic, um, as it definitely seems to be a timely one. Um, You know, if you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, you've heard me say that I let the patients in my office set the tone for whatever podcast subject I'm to speak about. And um, this week, it was very definitely poop. Poop was the topic of the week. (laughs) It's true. Um, So I thought um, never one to miss an opportunity to share some information that I hope can help uh, people. I thought maybe I'd take some time today to talk about uh, one specific patient story that I think um, has many lessons in it for you if you're um, uh, someone that suffers uh, from the same issues, and um, of course, as always, finish with some really usable topics um, and nuggets that I can share with you um, to get started feeling better right away. So we're going to talk about poop today, and in this case, we are going to speak about a patient who is um, has a problem with constipation, um, but a lot of the issues that I talk about here do apply to diarrhea or constant uh, or chronic diarrhea as well. And um, so stick with me because I think there'll be something usable here for everyone. Okay, so the patient I saw this week in the office um, came in very frustrated asking me about chronic and painful constipation. And in her case, um, she feels the urge to go to the bathroom, but when she sits to use the bathroom, um, there's a lot of straining, but not a lot happens. And so um, first clue there is that um, that can be a pelvic floor dysfunction. And of course, I've talked about that before on the podcast, and it's a very, very common issue for women, especially after childbirth, and especially around the middle Uh, perimenopausal years and um, anyway so this patient went to see her MD and her MD uh, said something along the lines of um, you're menopausal what did you expect Um, and also said you have a lazy bowel lazy bowel was the term he used and that it's genetic and there really wasn't much she could do about it And, um, you know, what I think is interesting is that, you know, she's smart enough to know that that opinion didn't sit well with her. So she went and sought another opinion from another MD who had the same sort of tone, although he um, actually checked her thyroid, which we'll talk about here in a moment, um, and also gave her a prescription for a one-time clean-out medication, um, which did you know, cause her to evacuate her bowels, but it really didn't get her any farther ahead. And so I thought, um, 
maybe I'd talk about this a little bit because I'm hoping there's some lessons in here for all of you. So she saw two opinions. They were simultaneous opinions, basically. Um, you know, she comes home and she goes, okay, well, what can I do to help myself? Because surely there's something I must be doing incorrectly. And she Googled foods that constipate. Um, you know, because that's ultimately what we do as women. We feel like somehow we've brought this on ourselves. Quite often that's the case anyways. And uh, she printed out a list of, I think it was the top 10 foods that can constipate. Um, and uh, just said, put it to her refrigerator and said, no more eating these foods. And of course on that list was a food that she loves dearly that I know is like a spiritual experience for her. So, you know, there was a lot of compromise that went along with that. And I mean, how frustrating you go to your doctor, you go to two doctors and neither of them give you a very good opinion. Um, one of the doctors did an x-ray and an ultrasound and that didn't show anything. Um, so, you know, I want to talk about labels for a second because I think this is a really important point here. So when you are going to see your uh traditional medicine doctor, okay, someone who's within the hospital or specialist system, um, the way that the insurance reimbursement model works is that the doctor has to find something wrong. The doctor has to put a label on that symptom or sign. And then with that label comes a diagnostic code. And once you have the diagnostic code, then you can bill insurance for um, the problem. And then the doctor has to choose between a drug and or a surgery and or radiation therapy. So you have to fit within that label-based model. And it's a very old way of looking at the body. Um, I heard it said recently that medicine, uh, from a, an MD, um, that medicine is practicing a century behind the research and information. And I think that's a really fascinating way of looking at it um, because it's not really set up to look at the body as a whole. It's meant to look at things in terms of pieces and parts. And does that get us any further ahead? And so you just have to remember that when you don't get the answers you're looking for, look deeper, ask different questions, look outside the box. Um, quite often the private healthcare providers like myself as a functional medicine doctor, we can, because we're boots on the ground, we can see the research when it comes out. We actually have, um, looking at the body as a whole, we're going to get a better outcome generally than the label-based system, which is saying drug surgery and radiation. Now, let, let me be really clear. If I break my leg, I'm going to the ER. I'm not going to the chiropractor. So you have to just um, do your own thinking on this. But I really want to encourage you to learn to ask different questions. And so when this patient told me that she was looking for whatever the problem was within her diet. Um, I thought, I said to her, I said, you know, before you eliminate the food that you love or the foods that you love, I want to encourage you to think about asking a different question. And my question to her was, what is causing your gut motility to be slow? Because there's got to be something. That's the deeper question. It's not just about the food, it's slow gut motility. So for her, her perceived food choices 
are not as involved as she thinks they are, which is great news, isn't it? Because nobody likes eliminating a food that they adore. I mean, sometimes it has to happen, but do it because it's a food allergy, not because you think maybe it's involved here, but you know, you do what you can to try to get yourself relief. I totally understand that. So again, she needs to know what it is that's slowing her gut motility or the speed of her digestion because something has slowed it down. So let me get tactical here and give you sort of the the things I ran down in my mind and with her to um, optimize gut function for her, speed her motility, and start to educate her to ask different questions about what was going on with her gut health. So something I think that is super, super important that neither of the GPs, uh, MDs talked about is the fact that this patient was just recently prescribed a week before she had a very painful constipation episode, uh, antidepressant medication. And the way those work for the most part broad strokes here is that they flood the body with serotonin. They flood the brain with serotonin. That's the idea. But of course, there's actually more neurotransmitters in the gut uh, than there are in the brain, which should like blow your socks right off if you haven't heard that before. Um, And so with all that serotonin flooding into the gut, her gut just slows right down even more. So, um, you know, the question then becomes, what's the problem? Is the brain causing the depression related to the gut being slow? Uh, is the gut being slow causing the brain problems? I mean, those two things work hand in hand. I know that you know that because you listen to my podcast. So there's a there's a whole hand in hand thing happening here between the gut and the brain. So I say work the gut first, get the gut functioning better, and I'm I'm willing to bet that this patient will have um, starting to feel will start to feel better about. Uh, the issues that are causing her to go on the antidepressant in the first place. So, okay, so let's get tactical. So the first thing I say is, what's your thyroid doing? Because when the thyroid isn't working properly or optimally, you can have slowing of the gut motility. Very much in the same way, if the thyroid isn't working properly, you can have heavy bleeding and menstrual cramps and a not regular cycle, fertility issues, etc. So one of the GPs did some thyroid testing, but he he didn't do a complete test and a complete test has the T3, T4, free T3, free T4, TPO and TSH as a minimal testing. And the most critical part of that is the TPO or thyroid peroxidase test, which is the test that's showing us whether or not you're having an autoimmune response to your thyroid tissue, which if it's there, your body is reacting to other things that typically starts in the gut. So if there's autoimmune here, then we can treat the gut motility issues in a totally different manner. And it's not a matter of um, not enough Synthroid, okay, or levothyroxine, which is the medication prescription from the label of Hashimoto's thyroiditis or autoimmune thyroid. Okay, so number two is that the antidepressant, the SSRI, slows the gut. So we talked about that one. Number three is food allergies. Typically, when we're talking about a gut brain problem, we're talking about grains, wheat specifically, although it can be any number of the grains that can do um, what we're talking about here, can slow the gut and cause brain dysfunction, essentially. So, um, Elimination of grains completely for a week 
would start to give someone with chronic constipation or chronic diarrhea even an idea as to whether or not that food is causing them some issues okay and then as you slowly start to reintroduce them one grain at a time you'll get a really good idea of which ones you can eat and which ones you can't and go based on how you feel food allergy testing is really unreliable and it's very expensive so for me i think an elimination diet and a reintroduction slowly really gives you much better on the ground kind of information so Dairy can also be an issue uh, in terms of food allergies for constipation. Um, And same thing, you would eliminate dairy for a week and then reintroduce it slowly to see if that is part of the problem. So the next one I have written here is control issues or psychology. Now, I'm sure if you didn't have a child like this, you knew of a child like this when you were raising your children or an auntie or a cousin um, had a toddler that would hold their poop. And this is a fairly common thing we see. It's fairly common with little girls. And um, I am no child psychologist and what I understand this can be is a matter of control, as in the brain starts to develop that need for independence around those toddler years, and the answer is no to everything, and they, you know, they want to try to get some of their own control. They're learning that they're uh, their own little people and they can make decisions for themselves. And one of the ways, in a very primitive way, that we control mummy is by holding our poop. Now, how relevant is this to someone in their 40s who is having difficulties with constipation? It's only relevant in that um, those patterns can get set up really, really early and you may not even be aware that they're there. So if this is an issue that you've had since you were a toddler, you may want to actually talk to a psychologist about this because they may have some insight about um, where you may be having control issues otherwise in your life and uh, be able to become aware because when you become aware of these things functioning um, in our brains and we don't even know they're functioning, then you can start to take better uh, control of other things, I suppose, is, is a good way to say it. So um, next tip I have is hydration. So you should be between two and three liters of water, just water a day. Anything else else you have other than water does not count towards that. Okay, so as I'm sitting here doing this recording, I've got a herbal tea on one side of me. That counts towards water. That's the one thing. You've got to make sure there's no caffeine in there. And I've got a, um, a sparkling water on the other side of me. So try to hydrate constantly throughout the day and uh, mix it up if water is not your really really your thing like we in this in our house drink a lot of um, sparkling water that has uh, natural flavors added to it that doesn't add any calories to it doesn't have any sugar in it Um, we also drink a lot of herbal tea in this office and that just keeps it a little interesting so here's the thing you often hear from if you have a constipation or even a diarrhea issue, they say take more fiber. Look, that's not a catch-all. The problem with that is if you just take fiber, like you're taking these daily fiber pills or something like that, you have to add a pile more water in order to move that fiber through the gut. Otherwise, 
you will actually create a plug that will make more of a problem. So a far better answer, basic answer to constipation or even diarrhea is just drink more water. Just get your system hydrated. Okay, um, you need that water to push the food materials through the gut. Make sure you have a daily intake of fruits and vegetables. Now, this is the eat the rainbow thing that you hear about um, because this is the best way to get your daily fiber. Keep in mind that one of the best, the, two of the best sources for fiber are sweet potatoes, delicious, and pears. Pears have almost as much fiber in them as uh, sweet potatoes do. Apples also have lots of pectin, which is great for moving the bowels as well. And uh, while we're talking about food, uh, coffee daily actually is a diuretic and helps to move the bowels. So it actually increases a peristaltic wave or the gut motility. So um, find a way, you can find a way to have your coffee uh, in the morning. For me, I have one cup. I have what I want in it. Sometimes it's cream and sugar, sometimes it's Bailey's, and sometimes it's black coffee. It just depends. So don't beat yourself up about it. Have one. Make it a spiritual experience. Move on. There are far bigger fish to fry than that one. Also, coffee a day has been shown to help control blood sugar. Okay? Again, it depends what you put in it, but that's what the research is showing us. Something else that you can do if your abdomen is um, distended or bloated or you're not moving your bowels like you should is a self-abdominal massage. So what you want to do is get yourself um, a little lubrication. So I like um, fractionated coconut oil with a few drops of, I like the doTERRA Digest Zen uh, blend, which has got a lovely fennel-y smell to it. And it it's just gingery. It's, it's awesome. It's what I use whenever I get a weed exposure. I'll use it on my upper abdomen and it just takes a few minutes to work. And man, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a lifesaver. But anyways, you can use it on the lower abdomen. And when you've got your uh, lubrication, whether it's a lotion or you're using an essential oil with a coconut oil, um, you want to massage slowly from the right side. So where your right hip is on the front side of your leg, you're going to move up towards your uh, lateral abdomen to the right Move across where your belly button is to the left, and then move down to the left hip on the front. And then uh, repeat. Lift your hand, take your hand over to the right side, uh, right hip, move up towards your chin, across the abdomen, at your belly button, and down. And repeat those slow, gentle strokes. And what I'd say is do this lying down, get both hands going so you have a continual continuous movement happening and you always have at least one hand on your abdomen massaging. Another way to think of it is if your sternum is 12 o'clock or the uh, space between your breasts on your chest, that's your sternum, is 12 o'clock, then you go in a clockwise motion starting from the right hip. Um, that done daily is uh, it can be really helpful to, to stimulate the bowel motility. Also, you have acupressure points which are along the lateral thigh between the outside of the knee and the hip joint, uh, right where the IT band is or the iliotibial band. If you're a runner, you'll know where that is. There are tender spots all the way along there that you can massage on a daily basis that will help to move the large intestine. 
Okay, and of course, probiotics daily. You got need to have your fermented foods and prebiotics to feed the garden of the microbiome. And really, hopefully, there's some information there for just about any of you. Um, from time to time, we all get gut issues. Regular exercise helps to move the bowels as well. So there's lots of things that you can do to um, to make make this work. And it's not necessarily at all about what food your foods you're taking in. Okay. So, um, last thing I would like to say here is that the menopause help guide, which is a course that I created for you for ease of menopause, um, and ease of the perimenopausal years, information, entertainment, education, non-judgmental, basically how this podcast goes. That's always my hope for you. And really the, the course is about peace and menopause, which is what I hope for you. I hope for myself as well. And with that in mind, I have created this class. There are four modules. You get delivered all of them all at once. Um, once you purchase the, the course and you can decide which devices you want to listen to them on. It's four, uh, audio files with four specific topics related to or most critical for peace and menopause and there are worksheets that go with it and there's uh, some bonuses that are really cool we have a a private facebook tribe which is awesome i love the ladies in there and um, there's a a self-help guide which i created myself it's the things i use myself when i feel like i need a little extra love so you want to know more about the menopause help guide it's just open for the next week so end of october here i will be closing it i don't know if i'll reopen it in the new year or if i'm going to create something completely different so um if you're interested at all check it out drlovely.com on the home page you'll be able to find the link to the menopause help guide so As always, thank you for listening. You can find us on Facebook on the Not Your Mother's Menopause podcast page on Facebook. And as always, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. The views and nutritional advice expressed by Dr. Fiona Lovely are not intended to be a substitute for conventional medical service. If you have or suspect that you have a medical problem, promptly contact your health care provider. No information offered here should be interpreted as a diagnosis of any disease, nor an attempt to treat or prevent or cure any disease or condition. As with any new advice or program, you should always contact your health care provider prior to starting anything new. Thank you.